<laughs> it does get recorded there too. Okay. All right. Well, I can go back and look at the recordings. Good. Good. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to start in about two minutes here. We're just launching our YouTube. It says live, but I think it's still launching on YouTube. Yeah. Exciting. I was just uh, before this. Um, so I was, a, I'm a Tony Robbins fan in, uh, or student, I guess. I, I think of him as my, my coach for a period uh-huh. of time in my life. So I have certain songs or certain anchors. And so one song, when, when people dump on you, you're real estate agent people sometimes mm-hmm. dump on you. Yeah. So I never saw the movie or play, but I, the words let it go mean something to me. So I play let it go from Frozen. Yeah. About singing let it go at the top of your lungs or whatever tension you have, it's just a ghost. <laughs> so whenever I feel like I am in momentum in my business, mm-hmm. some good things are happening, but the good stuff's really just down the road, but it's all kind of lining up. Yeah. I, play, I can't wait to be king by Lion King. Oh, so right before we cool. started this, I was playing a little. I just can't wait to be king. I had a great king. Uh-huh. purchase today. I represented a client today in probate court in LA, and we bought a one point four million dollar fix and flip that she's going to turn around and fix up nice. and for two million dollars. So you guys are going to have a chance to watch yeah. that from the inside. And I'll tell you, I learned one thing because I, when people talk about being a real an expert in something. I think we as realtors spend too much time learning how to get business or convince people to do business with us and not enough time about being the person they want to work with. Yeah. Distinction. When, I, when I was married at, at, at the wedding ceremony under the canopy, I'm Jewish, we had a wedding canopy. The rabbi said, mm-hmm. the key to marriage isn't finding the right partner, it's being the right partner. And I think business and, and marriage are, are identical in that the key to success in real estate, in particular in probate, I think too many times agents say, well, I took the class, I'm certified now, as if that means something, like that's like your driver's license. Right. And we're going to get data <laughs> so I can call people so they'll do business with me. And there's nothing wrong with starting that process, but you have to understand that's the starting of the process. And I think that the goal should be the criteria should be that you want to be the realtor that, or the real salesperson that people want to work with. You want to be the wholesaler investor that sellers want to work with. You want to be the investor seller selling houses people want to buy from. I want to be the listing agent the buyer's agents want to write offers on. Well, that sounds good. How do you be that? Well, that's the, the first step is to ask the question. To understand that's the goal. The goal, so when realtors are new, I, I, I have... I'm with EXP, so I get agents all the time asking if they'll mentor them. Right now, I'm filled up on mentees. I said, while we're on the phone, let's talk about your business. Let me give you some homework and and some things to work on. Because I believe it's important to leave people with a plan. Mm -hmm. And and I said to them that you can't just worry about getting leads and getting deals. You have to learn of some of value. So when you talk to people, you have what to bring to the party. And so one of, my, one of the things I coached him on was to pick a neighborhood. He likes View Park. Great. I don't care if you like it or hate it. It doesn't matter. If you like View Park? Perfect. Your job now is to know everything about View Park real estate. Mm-hmm. How many active listings are there? From what price to what price? How many sales in the last 90 days? How many sales this year versus last year? What's the average price? What was the average price a year ago? 
How many expired? How many canceled? How many withdrew? How many of those are still not back on the market? Where are they located? You really should know every, before you, and he's, when I asked him where he's going to sell real estate, he said, well, from Torrance to Santa Monica, I said, stop, stop, stop. No, no. Pick one neighborhood. Master it. Mm-hmm. Know every single thing about every house for sale. Then, then pick a second one. So I want to challenge everybody here on this. I'm going to share with you a story that's true. When I say I'm the probate expert, the LA probate expert, what does that mean? Well, specifically, to be honest, that's, a, that's a, maybe a phrase a little too broad. I believe I'm the real estate expert on sales at LA County probate court require confirmation. Most don't. There's 800 probates a month. And there's about 30 that sell a court. But I track every single one. I watch everyone's property, who the attorney is, the buyer, the seller, the price, the opening price, the final price, everyone. I have a spreadsheet. And I'll tell you that I also learned probate. I bought some books, not law books, but for consumers. I've taken five certifications. I took Paul Horns, which is great. Mike Torres' MTI, very good. All the leads, the best, the most involved, most expensive, the best by far. I took two other, I don't even know where they are anymore. Um, and I would, take it, I would take the next one. Oh, Kevin Sales. I blind to his coaching group. I go on all the leads group. I go on MTI's group. I go on uh, everyone I can find to learn because sometimes most of the stuff I know, but there's a nugget or two, those nuggets are worth money. So I'm going to give you guys today a nugget. If ever you go to probate court and, and bid on overbid, it's a little known rule. Well, let me ask a question. Anybody on this call ever been to court and represent a buyer on buying a property and overbidding in court? Anybody ever do that before on this call? No. William, you have? No. You have? We didn't win, but yeah, I've been, I've been they didn't get it. But. So I'm going to give you a tip for next time. It's going to be worth cash money. If you win one, you owe me a thank you card and a cup of coffee. How's that sound? It'd be worth thousands of dollars. Fair deal? Love it. So when you were there last time, what was the commission? If you had won the deal, what was your commission? 2.5%. Okay. So what William is saying is that the listing agent probably listed for 5%. He's pocketing 25 as a listing agent. was offering 2.5% to the buyer's agent. So if you won the overbid, you, your commission would have been the final price times 2.5%, correct? Mm-hmm. Wrong. Let me give you the nugget. You're gonna like this one. Well, it's a little. Sorry. Well, I mean, it's technically plus five hundred. You know, the overbid is not that, that no, no, formula. No. But you're not split the commission 50-50 based on the sales price. Here's the little nugget. Here's a little nugget I'm gonna give you. Free. You're gonna like this, William. You're gonna get this for sure. So there's the there's the there's the uh, sell price that the buyer comes in at, and the listings agent's commission is 2.5% of that. The final sales price. Buyer's agent gets the entire amount over that, the entire 5%. Now you oh. say, well, that's not true because I've seen it in the MLS. It says 2.5% of the final sales price. Well, that's what the agent says in the MLS. But let me tell you, the probate code, code number 10165, paragraph 2A, and I bring a copy with me, 
And one by one, I've, I've brought this to judges in LA and a couple now have gone along with it. A couple haven't heard of it yet, so that's up to you. But when I tell them that and I give them the code, they look at, you're right. Doesn't matter what the agent puts in the MLS. That's not the law of the state of California. Well, California is if you bring a buyer in, you get all 5% of the amount over. So I'll just share with you what was worked to me today because I knew that little piece of law instead of just splitting and getting 2% would have been 25,000 and splitting the overbid 4,300 each, I got an extra $4,300. That's $4,300 because I knew that rule. I'm, I'm confused. You're, you're, you're saying that you, you're, you're, you're just focusing on the overbid amount? Yeah, you're, well, on a, on a probate sale that goes to court and is overbid. Okay. All the 5% of the overbid amount goes to the buyer's agent. Wait, you said the 5% of the over, only the overbid amount. Correct. All 5%. Not two and a half percent, all five percent. Okay, because the overbid amount is what five hundred plus. What's that formula? Well, the minimum five percent plus five hundred. So let's say in a five thousand dollar house. Wait. <laughs> wait a minute, you're telling me? <laughs> yes, William gets that, this because he's been there. I'm that, telling. You, so here's what I say: We're gonna go through this nugget, but these nuggets are worth money. This is where the business is. Go ahead, William. So that extra 5% plus 500, you're saying that the buyer's agent is entitled to 5% of that total amount? Yes. All of the commission. All the commission, the overbid goes to the buyer's agent. All of it. Not split with the listing so, agent. So the listing agent wouldn't necessarily get their- Any of the overbid. Five. Think about, and think about it. For the, again, now some of you may not know what, we're talking about when a property needs court confirmation, the listing agent sells a property, brings it to court, and then you have the opportunity to bring a new buyer in a bit over that. Yeah. What's that? What's that statute? <laughs> you like that? One zero one six five. One zero one six five. Probate code one zero one six five. So you have to request that, right? Because if you don't yep. bring that up, the, the yep. there no. Yeah. Yeah. So, so does that do it? So what? that's what I do. I, I know I talk to the judge. The judge, will, right when the, the bidding's over, the judge will say, okay, so we'll, we'll split the commission 50 to 50. He's like, excuse me, Your Honor, can I be heard on this? You, now, you're pissing the listening agents off, man. You're, hell. <laughs> I can imagine. They, wow, you, you drop it on them at the last minute, right? When they okay, I, <laughs> now, I'll be honest with you, William. That's just the beginning of it. <laughs> Holy, holy. If they're nice and, and respectful and they, and they work with me and, protect, and I can protect my customer, I can be the nicest guy in the world. I can be a teddy bear. But if you want to take bread off the table of my family or my client's family, I'm bad news. I'm your worst nightmare. Right. We got to wow. play fair. We got to play fair. So, so you like say in this you case, always do I, that? You just do that if the listen agent is a dick? I, excuse my French. You, is that what you're saying? No, if they're if they're nice about it, if if they're nice for it, I might walk up to them and say, "Hey, just." The problem is, I don't want to count my chickens before the hatch, so I don't want to talk about it before we win the deal. That's not polite, but but I'll be polite about it. But that's the code. I didn't write the code. I'm just a taxpayer. 
I follow the laws. I don't write the laws. I right. And what's particularly fun is in this case, the listing agent listed for 3% was only offering 2% to the buyer side. So the end, it's interesting at the end of the day, I end up making the same as she did and she split it 50-50. But this is business and this is how the code's written. So here's a good question. Why would you think the code is written that way? Anybody, raise your hand or put an answer in the chat box. Why, why would the court say all of the commission for the bidding at court over the original sales price? So let me just back up for a second for those who won't follow it. We're talking about- No, I have an answer. Okay, hold on one second. Let me reset the question. Sure. So let me reset the question. The question is, why would the court create a rule on overbids where the buyer's agent gets all the commission? The, the scenario is the sale has to be approved by the court for whatever reason. For whatever reason, of the uh, 800 or so probates a month, 30 need court confirmation approval. Maybe there's litigation, maybe there's multiple heirs, maybe the executor isn't credit worthy, maybe they're smart, they, they ask for the wrong type of sale. We don't know. But when the court says, well, I want to, basically, the court's saying, I want to check things out. Why would the court pay all the commission of the buyer's agent of the amount over that the listing agent is bringing to court? And keep in mind, the court, the listing agent is saying to the court, hey, I market the property. This is top dollar. Go ahead, Paul. What's the answer? It, uh, because they're trying to stimulate maximizing the estate because the selling, the selling agent, the listing agent has, has no ability to stimulate an overbid, but a buyer's agent is in a position to stimulate an overbid and yeah. drive the price higher to maximize the estate. Another way to rephrase that is the listing agent in the petition said they got top dollar for the property. They're saying that if they could market the property as fully as possible and they did everything they're supposed to do. And here's, here's my offer. Here's the contract, Mr. Hedge. The most we can get. And in walks Bill with his client with a cashier's check for $100,000. Right. So you know what? Not only will we pay that, we'll pay 5% plus 500 more. Yeah, he just pulled it. He, 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 yeah. he pulled their bluff. Because if the, the listen, this is the most we can get. If somebody comes in five minutes later, well, I can offer five percent more. Well, you were wrong. And so then the, the, the original the, buyer's, the buyer's agent is procuring that. They're the one responsible for that. But my question is, is, can you have a can you have a buyer come in as a listen agent and be representing them? You dual agency, like oh well. I have a buyer, they, they want to overbid and I'm representing, can you, can you represent, can you do dual agency in an overbid situation? You can, but think about what you're saying and think about what has to happen. Your job, right? And so I've done it. I, I had a, a conservatorship where we had a bunch of properties and some were smaller lots that would be you know, harder to sell. And they had to wait pre-COVID, they had to wait six months they put their money, their wet 10% cash money. And they wait six months to get the property. Like that takes some, that takes, I'm a good agent, okay? That takes some skill. So with my seller's permission, a couple I did present the offers because, you know, we need to know if the guy's going to back out or not. It's expensive to go to court and have the buyer back out on a small property. They only have 500 bucks down on a $5,000 piece of property. 
So in those cases, yeah, I am representing both, but it's hard to do if you think about it because you're saying I got top dollar for the property. You're telling your buyer client, I got top dollar. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear you negotiate down and got them a good deal, right? And then your job is to still encourage outside overbidding because the seller is paying your commission. So you're literally looking for somebody to beat out your buyer client. How could you do all that? To yeah, me, that's conflicts of interest. To me, it's impossible. And I'm a good agent. I'm a hard worker, but I think it's impossible. People try to do it, and they got away with it years. In the old days, and some of these older coaches that teach probate, I don't want to name names, teach still. You should double in every deal. You should be buying them as an investor. I don't know how you do that when you have a real estate license. And I'm not against making a lot of money, and I'm not not making a lot of money. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not starving. My wife's happy. Uh, but I don't see how you double in a deal like that in probate court. I just don't. Yeah. Unless it's unusual. There's always exceptions. I'm sure some of you guys have questions. We got some people here who know what they're doing here. William has got. So the listing agent will still get their full 2.5 up to the overbid amount. Like nope. right there. No. Nope. Up to. Maximum is going to be 5%. I'm sorry. The maximum is 5% commission on any probate deal in LA County. So yeah, the, it, it, even no. if it goes above, it's still going to be 5% of the total amount. That's the, that's the contracted price. Because if that's what you put in your listing agreement, maybe you put in the listing agreement 4%. Regardless. No, no, no. If you're that's... on both ends, you get in, you're getting 4%. Well, let me first just clarify a little bit here to head of the fine. You're going to get what the judge says you're going to get. Yeah. One thing in probate court is whatever you get, the judge either is the judge says, period, doesn't matter what you think you're going to get, the judge is going to tell you, number one. Number, number two, uh, the standard in L.A. County is 5% for residential property, 10% for vacant land, FYI. Yeah. Low loan detail. Number three. And for vacant land, if it's. It's, you could make, make you could be working for free when you do it for vacant land, <laughs> depending upon the vacant land price. Okay, I mean, but, and, and I've done some small ones and some big ones, and and, and again, it depends on you, and as long as your seller agrees to it. But you go up to ten percent. Number number two, you can get more than five percent if there's extenuating circumstances the judge approves. Now, I've seen agents say for extenuating circumstances, oh, we we uh, advance the money. Or we paid for trash out, cleanup, staging. And the, the judge said, well, that's not extending. That's part of what realtors do today, right? I've had a realtor say, well, I, I, I should get 6% because it was a short sale, negotiated. You can charge a separate short sale fee. You can, you can charge separate fees for clean out and trash out and those things and you're reimbursed, just not as your commission. So, the, the, but you're gonna, at the end of the day, you're only gonna get what the judge approves they're okay with 5% for sure. Uh, but sometimes it's less. There's a, the LA County administrator, his standard is 4%, two and two. The, there's another auction company, a private auction company, Flanders and Weiner and Flanders, Flanders and Weiner, that they offer one half percent. Oh, thank you very much. Um, so, you know, you have, as the agent, you need to look at the commissions and factor that into your business model. Okay, we got in the weeds here a little bit, but I'm sure some of you guys are lost and have questions. So there's no question too basic. That's what this is calls for. It's for people who want to learn. 
either buy properties, investors or wholesalers or agents in the business probate or getting started in it. So who's got a question? Cover a lot real fast. Hey, uh, Bill, can you just kind of do like a, not a, maybe I guess kind of like a role play of what it would look like for an agent who's double ending in a court confirmation when they're going through the next bidding, next bidding, next bidding? Well, the judge is only asking the bidders, including the original buyer, if they want to raise their bid. So if you're representing, sometimes as the agent, I'm bidding for my buyer. Sometimes the buyer wants to bid on their own, depends on the client. So I'm not sure I understand your question then. Like if you were sitting in the court mm -hmm. and you were the agent who's double ending it, yeah. who was saying, okay, here's the opening bid. And then you're oh. now working with both of your clients. You've got the seller here and the buyer here. Well, you never So how are you going? The seller's not bidding in the auction. Once the, when the judge- No, they aren't. But I'm just saying from a side standpoint, how are you communicating when they say, okay, what's your bid? And then let's say another buyer comes into the room. They knew about the, that they saw it on the MLS. It was going to court confirmation. They decided to get an offer in on time. And now you've got this situation where you're representing the buyer and the seller, and they're going through the process of bidding. What does that sound like for you being a dual agent in that deal? Like, how well, are you responding to the next bid? Well, you're, when the bidding starts, the seller is not really involved until you're done. So no. in that capacity, you're just representing, the, the judge holds the auction. The judge is the one who does the numbers. So the judge will say, we'll go forward with the sale and we'll start this, the minimum overbid on this property is $1 million. So is anybody willing to overbid? And, and if I'm representing the buyer, we'll say, yeah, Mr. Jones is willing to bid $1 million. If I'm representing the original buyer, yeah, Mr. Jones, you know, Mr. Jones, Overbids me at one one, and the judge will then say, "Are you willing to bid one million one hundred five? Yes, we are. So I, once the bidding starts, I'm just representing the buyer, not the seller. Also, the job's right. So done. I guess what I'm getting at is how how much how much are you communicating with the buyer to say how far do you want me to go? Do you want me to say yes, we'll bid for that, or have yeah. you already established the buyer's top number? So me personally, I often have a buyer say to me, "Well, like today, I had one say, I'm willing to go to X." Right. And I'll say to him, well, that's great. But every time he asks you, I want you to nod your head because I don't want to be making any mistakes. or not hearing you when you say stop. So when the judge would say 1 million, uh, we start at 1.23 and we end up at 1.427. So when the judge would say, are you willing to go to 1247? I looked over, he nodded his head. I'd say, yes, uh, Mr. Smith, yes. Uh, I, as a, as a real estate agent, I want them to acknowledge every individual bid. I don't want him to tell me my max is 1.5. You can go up that high, particularly if they're a newer investor. Now, some I work with regularly, you know, I have some investors who are almost like partners now and they'll email me, go up to 1.5. I'll do it. That's different. But generally speaking, generally speaking, I'd much rather the buyer do the bidding and that way they, they, they won't regret if they don't go far enough and they'll not have any communication problem with me on the bidding part. You know, Bill, I, I'm just trying to remember, it was a while ago, <clears throat> maybe five, seven years ago when I was with, uh, with that one client in there. Um, do they, first off, is, is there a, a list uh, that goes out where we can be informed of upcoming um, 
you know, auction or probate, uh, you know, uh, courts that, you know, where we can bid on the properties and do they have to pay the 10% um, right, you know, before they get the property? Like, what can you just walk in and overbid? Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of forgot. Sure. So first off, there's no such list of upcoming sales. Now, I, I believe there are one or two different guys who sell the data, but about the time I find out who they are, they stop selling the data. I do it myself. I spend a lot of time and money accumulating that data. So I do send out to investors I work with um, uh, properties that we're not working on and see if they want to do that. And people on my team, Paul's I know has gotten a list before and looked at it. Um, so that is something, but that that's, of all the things I don't share, that's not the only thing. Because I spend a lot of money preparing that. And we're working on that every day. We're literally every day checking court records, checking the data. Uh, and there are other agents that do that too. And, and, they, and I think I do that well. And I, you know, maybe someday I'll sell that data and something, I don't know. But for now, that's what I provide. I, I think that what the purpose of me teaching this is not for you to compete with me, obviously. And I think you'd have a tough time. I, I think there's, I've made it sound easier than it is. My goal though, is that when you find one that requires court confirmation, either let me help you so you don't back off and lose the deal. Or if you want to partner up on one, I'll walk you through the whole deal. We'll partner on one deal and then you'll learn it that way. Either one's fine. And I don't care if you don't partner with me. You want to do it on your own? Call me, I'll do my best to walk you through it. Because I, I just, I'm glad to help. There's enough business for everybody, right? So the, to answer your question on the, the, how does the sale work, theoretically, when the court says we're going to confirm the sale, what the court, what the law basically is saying, hey, listen, if you want to tell me, Mr. Seller and Mr. Listing Agent and Mr. Attorney, you would tell me that you got top dollar and you want me as the judge to confirm your sale, then I'm going to make it publicly known. And anybody who walks up and is willing to bid more than you by 5% plus 500, 5% plus $500, as when to walk up with a cashier's check for 10% of that, if they show up with that check and they bid that with no contingencies, we're gonna take that money because they're not gonna not buy the property. You follow all me? the offers have to be non-contingent, waiving yep. all contingencies? As is. This is not for the meek of heart, man. This is, this is serious business. And so you- so you, you can't get in a preliminary inspection? You can't one day, a couple hours? Well, before item C, auction is day, right? but when you go to court, it, no, it's done. That's Side the challenge. Unseen, pretty much. Sight unseen. Yeah, well, maybe maybe you got into it before the court date. Yeah. That, that's so, a good strategy. So what, I, right? what I teach agents to do, which no, most agents won't do, because they don't put the time in, they don't want to work that hard, no disrespect. I say you should pick every property that needs court approval and go see it as soon as it's listed. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because now you've right. been in the property and while you're there, take photos because the listing agents often won't allow, won't put photos up. They'll say, oh, there's no photos. Can't have I had I had a, an attorney I called on one. It's funny because so many times these coaching programs want to tell you to solicit the attorneys. I'm going to tell you, the attorneys aren't such a great, not all of them are such a great source of business. <laughs> My first 10% are great, but the 80%, the bottom 8%, they have no idea. They don't know anything. And this attorney, 
I, I mentioned the attorney, the, the case was going was gonna to be denied because they didn't list the, pro they didn't advertise the property. One of the requirements, the court says, if you advertise the property and you bring it in here, you know, we'll have the auction. And the attorneys and the, and the realtors will sign on the petition under penalty both that they market the property as much as possible. And there are realtors who will sign that document and go to court under oath and say they did everything could install property, but not put in the MLS. <laughs> now, to any realtor on the line, you know you're going to call BS on it, aren't you? Yes. If I have a Please. BS penalty flag, it's in the air, right? Yep. And, they'll, and they will put that in the petition, and they'll sign it under penalty of perjury, and they'll show up in court, and they'll raise their hand, and they'll tell the judge, yeah, Mr. Judge, we did everything we could. So, so, one, so what I do, go ahead. What about the ones that have it on for a day? How about, How about that? that one? How about that one? Pending. How about that one? So, so the question is, are you fulfilling that criteria? Because technically, there you, right, go. you listed it, but have you marketed it? That's the that's the gray area. Well, so, well, yours truly. If my buyer wants that property, you know, and, and and you do that, I'll come into court. You know, if you let me see the property, let my investor, my client see the property. We're playing ball together, fine. We'll play ball together. But if you're not going to play ball with me, right? If you want it to be adversarial with me, I'd, I'd like to get along with everybody. I'm just a teddy bear. I'm just a nice guy. But if you want to tell my investor they can't see the property as required by law, then I'll go to court and I'll say, excuse me, Your Honor, this property <laughs> was on the market for zero days. Okay. And by the way, the law says... They have to publish the sale in the legal publication. And it says, you know, we'll accept offers on or after March 1st. But if the contract is February 27th, or the MLS shows, I've, I've done this. The MLS showed it was pending before the published date that they're certifying. Basically, they lied to the court. I'm not going to charge them with perjury. But the judge will say, the sale's not approved. Yeah, I do that. That's exactly what I do for my client. Yeah. Now you want to work with me? I'm fine. I have a job to do like you do for my client. Right. And there's rules that determine how we play. And I play by the rules fairly and ethically. And, so here's, you, a, and here's the thing, like with these two <coughs> lists that I have now, I set them up as coming soon. First, I set them up as excluded from the MLS because they were prepping them. The attorney said, well, I assume that you're doing this for a reason. Yes, because they have to prep them. There's a big clean out. There's all these things. But at least I can do a one-on-one -on -one conversation with anyone who's potentially interested in these listings. You know, if I mention it, to try to market it, to sell it. And I always use the word to market it, even if it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Then we, we, two weeks later, we went ahead and put it in as coming soon. I said, let's get some visibility on this. Let's do coming soon. That allowed me to put signage in the front yard and to put it in the MLS visible to agents. We are now in multiples. And that's and just that alone was enough to market it. I've got signage out front. I put it in the MLS is coming soon, which gives it 21 days visible to other, other agents, cooperating agents. It's marketed. 
and I put it on Facebook. It's we are in multiples. So, and here's the thing: that's the fiduciary responsibility I walk into with the sellers. Period. I don't have a. I could say I have investors, but the reality is, is that the contract I have right now, going out the gate, is with the seller. Right. So until and they're fine with me represent, representing a buyer if I bring them a buyer and I want to rep the buyer and the buyer's fine with me repping them. But the reality is, is I'm going to fulfill my obligations of the probate court, market the property, and it's just going to be better for everybody. So everybody gets a shot. <laughs> here's what I'll say. I check every sale. And if I see the listing agent's double ending or the trick that agents use is they'll have somebody else in their office on the buyer side. Oh, yeah. It, or the other trick they use is, you know, they're Keller Williams, but they, they, they use the branding, the Liberty Group, whatever. Well, I, I look at the DRE number and see who they are. I have a database for that. If I find that's the same brokerage, I know there's something going on there, right? I know there's something going on in this market. So that's where I'll look at it. Now, that doesn't mean that they necessarily sold it on the cheap. You could double end it, but I'll look at that. I'll take a second look. You, you're drawing attention. It's like blood in the water and I'm a shark. I'm going to pay attention and see what else is there, right? So in the old days, they got away with all that all the time. And I'd say today, I mean, I don't know. That's a good question for listing agents. The coming soon and the pre-marketing. You know, I, I, I still feel like I would put it in the MLS with no showings and no photos and get everybody to know it's coming up. And I just feel like that's the, the widest distribution net. And yeah, my phone's flooded with agents begging me to see the property and I have to tell them no. But I, that's my approach. It doesn't really matter. What you said is, is the end of the day, Nina, you, you recognize, you recognize that you're representing your seller and you have a job to do. And as long as you do that, that's great. We as agents get tempted by the big commissions to also double in the deal and then we get off track and that's where we end up not doing our job. So Bill, you said when you're doing it, you put it in there, but you put it in there as the, I'm sorry, you put it in there listed active and then you just don't have pictures and you get a ton of requests. Yeah, I, you know I literally had a listing I took on a Monday and my seller wasn't available for photos till Thursday and they delayed me to the following Monday. And then we didn't get the photos back until Thursday and I uploaded them on Thursday with showings that following Saturday. And I got an offer on Friday, subject to inspection, they saw it Saturday, we were next on Monday. But at least you the world a chance to see it. Got it. So you don't you don't let anybody see it until you've got photos and it's ready right. to show. It's basically, but you're still listing it live to get marketing done. Got it. And the, and the downside agents will say to me, well, that hurts your days on market. And my answer is, my job is not to have the best days on market. My job is to do the best job selling my seller's house. And my seller got more visibility by being on market, even though we had no photos. Every buyer who bought a competing house that week in, uh, this was in West Hills, every buyer... I feel sorry for the buyer's agents because every buyer who looked at another house said, well, yeah, but this house came in the market. I want to see what it looks like on the inside. But that's what you want. Like you want to be the pretty girl that everybody wants to chase after at the bar. You know, so you want them talking about you. That's what you want. So to me, I'd rather put in the market and not have showings. I, I didn't do it to be sadistic. I did that because it's on the market and we can't show the property until my seller, uh, in this case, he has a large family and they had to vacate the house for a day. So we, we did that. That worked yeah. out. So yeah. and, and coming soon serves the same purpose. It's just not visible to the public. So it only can only agents or 
people on the public who are seeing the signage would be able to really call you about it. Yeah, and I, that's another way to do it. I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm right, you're wrong. I'm just saying for me, I just rather cast the widest net possible and let yeah. the chips fall they may. But and the days of market don't start with coming soon. That's advantage to the agent for sure. Yeah. Again, like for my business, I don't care. No attorneys ever ask me what's your average DOM. They don't care. But I still think the days on market, the, the zero days on market with coming soon is also an advantage to the seller because if you if you look if you're tracking probates in the MLS and you see the ones that haven't sold for 120, 150, 160 days, you know, they they were burdened by you know having those first days on market that it just sat there. So if you can save 21 days using a coming soon, why not? Well, I just say seven to 10 days. I'm 21 is a bit much, you're right. Yeah, it's a bit long for a coming soon. But still, if you can save your seller that, on a, yeah. if it ends up being too long sitting. Which well, that's one way to look at it. But the other way to look at it is for those 21 days, every buyer in your area saw the house was coming on the market. Yeah, every buyer right. sees it. So oh yeah. That's I would say to the seller, we could do it either way. You know, I, I was I really believe my seller, my job is to inform my seller so they can make an informed decision, not yeah. to decide for them. So I'll yeah. say to them, we could do it that way, but but that means every buyer's gonna buy a house the next three weeks isn't gonna know your house is for sale. You're mm -hmm. okay with that. Yeah. Nobody's no nobody's gonna know your house is coming on the market because you know, so anyhow, that's that's a, we're getting off in the weeds here. <laughs> Any other questions on, <laughs> I could do this all day long, guys. I, can you tell I love real estate? I love this business. I make really good money, provide for my family. And all I have to do is help people like you guys be successful. Okay, do you, question. Do you, do you find um, with, with attorneys, do you find resistance when yes. you... Yes. Kind of have a, a, yes. a reputation of double ending or of dual agency. Like, do you, do you sometimes get resistance? I well, first of all, I'd say I was being facetious. I think I get resistance from attorneys all the time. It's just their their nature. They're just resistance machines. They're very good. I think that's just their nature. Their their job is to look at every little thing for defects. And. Yeah. To imagine the worst risk of everything—that's that's their training. So yeah, I think that, and and I, I don't know that necessarily attorneys or anybody's up to date on the latest legal and or business consequences of dual agency. But I do think that in general, uh, I think the average person understands it's very hard to represent both the buyer and seller in the same case. I think, I think every, when I learned you could do that, when I got into real estate, I was surprised. Really, how, how does that even work? Yeah. Now, there's exceptions. I've had listings where a buyer would call me on a weird kind of property or deal, and I'd say, I can walk you through it. And I knew for my seller, it was better for me to represent it rather than deal with another agent, usually smaller properties. It's not worth, I'm not making that much money on a $10,000 vacant lot. But you know what? Rather than deal with the other agent and all that nonsense, I'll handle it. It's just easy. it's actually easier not to work with the other agent. Here's a good question: If it wasn't for disclosures and paperwork, I might even offer, you know, uh, to forego commission for for a buyer without the other agent because sometimes the agents get more trouble than they're worth. In some cases, sad to say. Um, so anyhow, that's that. I, I got a question from is it a 
Adiseki. Um, how does probate sales work in Atlanta, Georgia? You know, I don't know. Do we have any agents from Atlanta, Georgia here on the call? I know we do on my EXP call. Anybody here as an investor of experience in Atlanta, Georgia, or um, any realtors? So I know I'm butchering your name, Adasiki. Um, it's a pretty name, pretty picture. <laughs> um, you know, uh, you might consider there's a, uh, if you're learning about probate, one of the great resources is All the Leads. They have a website, alltheleads.com. They also have a great YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and search All the Leads. Um, or they have a Facebook group, All the Leads. They have one group that's for graduates of the training. I mean, that one, they have another one in general. Good place to congregate with other people into the probate. You might ask the question there. And, you know, and if you're not an agent, you might find an agent that can help you specifically in Atlanta, Georgia. So I have colleagues in Atlanta on my Monday call, but I don't have anybody here. So I really, I'm sorry I can't answer the question. If you have a particular question, and I think I'd be glad to see you online or offline or anybody, if you guys want to call me or text me, you're welcome to. I'm going to put my info in the chat box, but uh, Bill Gross. Um, and my phone number is 310-210-0008. My email is bill at the laprobateexpert.com. I have a couple other a couple other phone calls I manage as well as some uh, discount codes on probate data if you're interested. So if you want to do that text good stuff to 213-460-2577. And I'm also excited to announce that we've renamed this call to Probate Weekly. So once you're registered, you should get reminders. But if you don't, you can always go to probateweekly.com and they'll bring you back to this registration page for this call. So there's my information in the chat line. And so I just think if I can help offline, text or email me, I'd be glad to help. Okay, who else has a question? Somebody else had one I, I cut off, no? Hey, Sandra, how you doing? Sandra Franco. Hey, were you on Casey's call a little while ago? Were you on Casey's three o'clock call? Yes, I was. I missed it by a minute. Oh, so. I, you must have been who he was talking about because he said, oh, so-and-so supposed to be in here. He had to leave or, you know, he's really going to be uh, upset because of the cutoff. So. Well, not sad. I'm disappointed, but so <laughs> yeah. Sandra and I belong to a networking group. You guys might, if you're interested in networking, let me know, and I'd be glad to connect you. Expand the business, I think, is a Facebook group. And on uh, Thursdays at three o'clock before this, he has a networking call that goes from three to three fifty-five. So I was making my phone calls, and um, I get a phone call back from a fiduciary, which is like, you know, when you have an attorney call you back or fiduciary. It's like an attorney on steroids. They have more deals. And this is on a particular deal I'm trying to put together. So I'm talking to him on the phone and I hang up and I realize it's 3.03 and I dial the phone real fast. I'm sorry, I hit the login and I, this networking call, he closes the door at 3.03, I just missed it. So, um, but if you're interested in networking, and I would say if you're a real estate salesperson or you're an investor wholesaler with another business, uh, Casey Eberhardt is a, coach and networking fantastic and has a Facebook group called Expand the Business 
and there's a free networking group every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific time that, that uh, Sandra, that's where I met Sandra. I have a cool. question. Yes. Um, have you ever experienced in court confirmation or experienced when you announced court confirmation that a buyer back, wants to back out and the buyer didn't get their earnest money back? Um, so they find out they didn't, they find out it's going to go to court confirmation. Well, why would they not get the money back? What's that? Why would they not get the money back? I'm just curious if you've ever experienced that where they didn't for some reason. No, the opposite. I, many, um, um, uh, many times you know, they're overbid to get the money back. They're pissed. Ah, they're pissed. <laughs> Um, some way, I, I've been in cases where they overbid and they were in escrow for six months. They had 10% deposit down for six months. And they get well, actually, actually, I'm talking yeah. about like you have a full authority listing and an air objects. So it goes to court confirmation here, uh, overbidding. A buyer who had the, uh, you know, who put, they, they accepted an offer that's, that's what the air objected to. So now we announce that it, to that buyer that it's going to go to court confirmation and we update the MLS that it's now going to go to a court confirmation hearing, which means more offers come in. Yeah. So does that buyer who has an accepted offer by the seller, they cancel, they should be able to get their earnest money back. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've been a case. We went through that with COVID where cases were canceled because we couldn't file. Court hearings were delayed. Um, definitely. Um, I mean, uh, but if you're a buyer in the property, there's two scenarios you talked about. One is you're a buyer and it doesn't need court confirmation, and then all of a sudden it does. Mm -hmm. At some point, you got to give him the right to cancel at that time because he doesn't have to wait around through the court confirmation process, yeah. right? And and so um, and then two, if he goes to court, he's never bid. Yeah, they get their money back. They didn't do anything wrong, but they're out their appraisal, their inspection money, the 9A report, and whatever else they pay for. Yeah, yeah you know, we're, we, because of, there's so many errors on these listings I have, yep. we said, let's do a 10% earnest money deposit requirement because in case it goes to court confirmation, we can tell the buyer, you can stay in to do the overbidding process. Most of the buyers I've talked to, they're like, well, will I be able to get my money back if I back, if I back out? <laughs> of course. A lot of people, a lot of investors don't actually, and I don't know if there are many investors here tonight, but it's interesting how a lot of investors are not too thrilled about the overbidding process. Why is that? Well, it's complicated. You know, I think they want to know what their, what their uh, results is going to be. Number one, they don't want to wait through the long time. They value the property and you say to them, we have to go to court. So it could be, you know, two, three weeks, the attorney files the paperwork and then 30, 45, 60 days to get the hearing. And then, 30, 40 days to get the final 10-day order. Uh, so, you know, they don't like time um, and they don't like buying at court because it's, again, complicated. They have to have cash. They don't want to lay out cash, so they have to. So I actually advance cash at, for court for some of my clients, part of the service I provide. Um, so, you know, those are challenges. That's why some, it's not for everybody. These are not, it isn't easy. None of this business is easy. If I, I make it sound, it's fun. Because I, it's a game I play and I'm winning. I'm glad to, to, and I want to make it enjoyable. And I'm kind of that guy anyhow. I try, it's funny, my wife says to me, this is true, I hate our dog. 
It's not our dog. I hate her dog. I don't like dogs. They lick you. Come on, Bill. They lick you. They smell. What's to like about a dog? I don't like dogs. Come on, Bill. I said, I'll play with the dog. Said, no, you love the dog. You play with it. No, no, no. I'll play with it because I'm bored. I'll throw the ball. The dog gets the ball, come back, throw the ball. I love that. No, I don't like the dog at all. Dogs are family. Come on, man. Willie, I got a dog for you. Come on, pick it up. Just. Hey, I got a quick question. Go ahead, Jeff. Hello, everyone. William May with Century 21. Uh, nice uh, talking to you again, Bill. Yeah, um, been in real estate for about 10 years, but I'm uh, trying to hone my skills with the probate. So I'm new with the prospecting aspect. So can you give me like a, um, a brief summary on how you prospect the lead, follow up with the lead? Um, I know we post a, a show value and empathy, uh, but um, yeah, any advice would be helpful. Okay, well, um, so I actually, from time to time, teach a class called the 11 ways to get a sale in probate. The probate companies sell you one, one or two ways. They'll tell you, here's the data, call the petitioners, call or, or mail the petitioners, and they'll sell you the data and say, call or mail the attorneys. The attorneys is a very challenging net because attorneys are tough group, number one, or unique, and, and most agents' personalities are the opposite of attorneys. Number two, most attorneys don't control that much business. So you're chasing a lot of people who, they only do one probate every two years. So they're not gonna remember your name two years from now. So um, what I try to tell agents is you have to have multiple ways to attack the probate court. You can pro prospect the petitioners if that's where you wanna go. I think it's great as one of. I think you have to have one or two other strategies that um, address that. And um, I, there's 11 that I've identified. If you text good, I have your information, uh, Willie, but if you text in good stuff, you'll get the link back with the page on that has the 11 ways. And I just say, you know, the most common one for a realtor is the MLS. You should be pulling every probate listing that comes up in your market area. And while I know you would say to me, well, Bill, all this property in the Inland Empire, all this property in Orange County. No, I would say pick a narrower area for probate that you're going to see everyone geographically. Like mm -hmm. that's your probate farm. Your probate farm might be, I'm just guessing from a member of you, either north or south of the 10, east or west of the 110 or whatever, but one area. But every probate south in that area. Bay, Los is, Angeles, Inglewood, Gardena. There you go. And those cities right there. But not all of LA, the part right. of LA that's near Gardena, where that square is. And I and what I, I think would be a great opportunity for you would be draw that square, create an MLS uh, reminder. Like you're a buyer, you know how you get those reminders of new properties? Alerts. That? Alerts. Create an alert for yourself on probate in that area. That everyone and watch every single one. See who mm -hmm. the agents are. Read the comments. And the ones in your area, go see the property. Now, today you can't maybe get inside, but you can drive by them. And be the expert on the inventory. And that way, you'll find one that I'll miss because I'm not driving that property. And I don't know those areas as well as you do. But if you know probate and you know that area, you're going to find one out of 100 that's a sale. But again, there's 30 a month. One of 100 is about one every three months on the MLS side. That way, on the petitioner side, you might get one every three months. Now you got two deals every three months. You follow me? 
you're looking for uh buyers to to show the um the listings for the right. probate sense. Right. Oh, okay. You want to be the first guy in to get that property tied up. You you're looking for the one listing. Unfortunately, of- I don't usually work with too many buyers. <laughs> I always okay. try to cold call to get listings. So. I don't either. But if you find a good right. deal, if you find a deal that was below market in Gardena, you found a fixer that you knew was a really good deal. Would you know somebody who would call and buy it from you? Uh, sure, but if it's on the MLS, wouldn't it be like a hundred, hundred and fifty people already knocking down the door? Not day one, and not to know probate. And a lot of going to read probate and avoid it because they don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a little less competition. And again, if you're getting the alert, no, it's a fixer. So it's not like a, it's not like yes, there are investors who go look at them. Yes, there's some competition. There's competition in everything in this business. It's a competitive business. Right. But there's less competition there. There's less competition day one. And if you know the area, some of you off the top, well, you knew that property because you saw that three months ago when it was expired or whatever. After a while, you know the inventory. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say is the other way. Add that to your petitioner calls. That way, when you get a petition in the area, you know the property already. Mm-hmm. The inventory of probate in the, in the area. Exactly. So how would you prospect a petitioner and Let follow just up you just system? You're just going to call them. No you just call them. You don't do follow up, thank you card, or uh, email campaign, or yeah, no, all that postcard campaign, or yeah. thank you note. Yeah, all that, all that. I wouldn't mail anything to anybody that I didn't know was a good phone number. I wouldn't mm-hmm. mail anything else. Personally, I wouldn't mail anything unless I talked to them. I would. Sp- I would spend the money. I would spend more money on people I, t- I know and less money on strangers. Right. So I wouldn't mail me anything, but if I talk on the phone, even if they say, we're not sure what we're going to do, yeah, I put them in a drip campaign of postcards or something. Yeah, I've done that. I'm not doing that actively. I'm working a different angle. I'm working the court sales and I'm working the attorneys right now. Okay. You can only do so much. I, I'd like to do more, but I did call petitioners every day for three hours and made money at it. It was a good business. And yeah, you need some postcards, but you're not going to win the business. Uh, I'm going to wrap up here. You're not going to win the business just on the mailers. Well, I do it like uh, as uh, far as uh, building up rapport. So usually like when I'm cold calling, I co-call somebody they're thinking about selling this year or next year. Uh, I just uh, say, hey, thank you. I'll send them a thank you card a week later. Uh, after they received the thank you card, I said, hey, this is William May with Century 21. I spoke to you last week. Yeah. You said you might be thinking about selling next year. I was just yeah. checking to see if you got my thank you card. Yeah. Oh, yes. And then uh, I was like, oh, okay, by the way, uh, it was a property that sold around the corner from you. Are, are you curious about the um, price? Well, yeah. I was like, what is the best email address so I could send that to you? So then I'll put them in my email campaign where they get property alerts once a month. And I just call them every two two months and send them a postcard every two weeks. If you did it, if you did that three hours a day for you know 90 days, in the next 12 months you'll make two hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Mix it in with my cold calling um, because I cold call. So it's like I'm trying to expand my horizons with probate. Yeah, yeah. So do some cold calling and then uh, follow up with uh, probate petitioners. I hey, thanks, would focus never geographically on the probates where you have some expertise. Right. That's what I do for you. Okay. 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 Hey, Thank guys. you, good sir. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, nice seeing you again. Here's the dog bite. Here's my daughter, my wife's dog. It's my wife and daughter's dog. They actually both got it. It's not my dog, FYI. Um, 
hey, Probate Weekly is a new name because we can do this every week. Come back, bring your questions, challenges, problems. Uh, real estate investors, wholesalers. Uh, appreciate you guys. Uh, I sent out the link afterwards with the recording. If you like it on uh, YouTube, like it, subscribe, love to get support that way too. Any questions, call, text, or email me. And how can I see the recording? Uh, Arnell, uh, Alton, we're gonna send out the link to you. As long as you're registered in the Eventbrite, you'll get a link to it. So if you got on here, you should get a, a link to it or go on YouTube, okay? Thank you guys, thank you so much. Have a fantastic Thanks, day. We'll talk soon. Take care, everyone. God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye.